0: Uh, this morning it comes from Ephesians uh, chapter 1 I'm sorry no that's not true Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 7 as for you you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest we were by nature, deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in and his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Uh, let me, uh, Please join me as we pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us uh, this morning your word uh, to be able to speak to us. Uh, we, we need to hear what you through Paul are trying to tell us this morning as we've been uh, taking time to, to look at the the big story that uh, you are telling us through the individual stories and prophecies and poetry and uh, historical accounts that are woven together uh, in your word. Uh, And so, Lord, as we spend time this morning uh, looking again at what happened with sin and why the fall is so important for us, uh, help us, Lord, to see uh, what you want us to see from this passage Uh, that our understanding of sin and of its consequences, uh, it would be clearer and sharper, and and the process that our understanding and appreciation of what you've done for us through Jesus would be uh, brighter and stronger still. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've been going through this series where we are talking through... Uh, the story of the Bible and the different uh, ways that the, you can think through how uh, all of the stories and the poetry and the prophecies are all woven together. And what we've said is that you can take the story and map it out into four chapters. The first chapter was creation. Uh, so we looked at Genesis 1 and we looked at Genesis 2 and considered what it means to be made in the image of God and uh, what it is that we've been called to do as people who are image bearers in our work. And then we transition to chapter 2. Today we're looking at for the third and final time at the second chapter of the Bible. We looked at Genesis 3 where we see the fall happen. And we said that the term fall stands for the historical event that happens in Genesis 3. But it also is the word that we use to talk about the consequences that flow out of that historical event. Uh, and so today we're jumping. Then we looked at Genesis 4 and we looked at Cain and Abel. And today what we're doing is we're jumping into the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we are looking at how Paul wants us to think through what sin is. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is Paul's letter to a church, the church in Ephesus. And what he's primarily trying to communicate in Ephesians is that Christ, through his death, has created a new humanity And that Christians form a new community that transcends divisions based on race, class, and gender. And that therefore, because of this new humanity that God has created through Jesus, that Christians are called to live a certain way. That's Ephesians in a nutshell. Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, after Ephesians chapter 1 is this like super beautiful, we've, we've been memorizing part of, right? It's this absolutely majestic, one long sentence uh, that exclaims just how amazing God's grace is. And then we get to chapter 2, and it's almost like whiplash because all of a sudden Paul starts to talk about the reality of sin. And he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And so he just begins to all of a sudden like unpack for us, in, in three verses, he unpacks for us a lot of his view of sin, really the scripture's view of sin. Now, uh, we've, so this is the third week that we're talking about sin. This is the third week that we're talking about the fall and be like, man, can we move on? We are going to move on next week, I promise. But the reason that we do this is because this is really important. I'm going to give you a reason. Now I'm going to give you a reason at the end of the sermon. Uh, every single person we talk to whether they have faith in Jesus or faith in something else or no faith at all, they have some way of answering the question, what is wrong? Uh, and as Christians, we have been given an entire book that is explaining to us how things went wrong, Genesis 3, uh, and then it for us how bad things got in Genesis 4 through 11, uh, and then what God is doing about it in the rest of the Bible. Uh, and time and time again, as you see, remember we said that, that, that while we look at these different sections of the Bible and there's like primarily focuses on creation in Genesis 1 and 2 and fall in Genesis 3 through 11, that, that you find this being spoken about all over the Bible. Uh, And so, uh, when we when we uh, hear about wars happening, right? Uh, When we see in the news what's happening in Gaza, when we see in the news what's happening in Ukraine, when we when we uh, consider the humanitarian crisis right? That, the one that's at our southern border, the one that's happening in Gaza, the ones that are happening in places all over the world. When we consider uh, places in our world where the life of the unborn or the life of the elderly is considered expendable, right? When you just look at all of the different things, all of the different ways, you're like, man, that is just not the way things are supposed to be. We have to be able to give an account for that. We have to be able to have an explanation for how we see these things are wrong. But more importantly, in some respects, what is God doing about it? And that's what the story really ultimately is all about. It's like what God is doing and how our stories are woven into this larger story of what God is doing. Uh, Kids, have you ever, uh, I've only ever seen these at Barnes & Noble. Uh, I'm sure maybe some of you have owned these books, right? The, an anatomy book where you you open up in the first page, you know, you've got like a person drawn, and then you turn to the next page and you'll see like the muscul uh, the muscular system, uh, and then you turn the next page and it's all of the veins, and then you turn the next page and it's their you know their organs or their skeleton, uh, and so these anatomy anatomy books, what they do is they they tell you how all of the different parts of our body work, how they're connected. Uh, What what I want to do is I want us today to look at Ephesians chapter 2 and consider that what Paul is doing is that he is giving us an anatomy of sin, Uh, that he is breaking down sin for us in at least four different ways. He's telling us four things about sin that uh, help us understand it so that we can diagnose it when we see it, when we see it in our lives, and when we see it in the life of other people. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. Today, uh, what I, my, uh, the sermon today is going to be a little different from how I normally preach, because today we're going to go literally like phrase by phrase of the first three verses. Uh, and then in the second point, I'll get a little bit more meta, big picture, okay? Okay. All right, so here are the first three verses again. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is not working, those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So the first thing that we need to see is the seriousness of sin. Paul says, as for you, you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, uh, it's interesting, right? When you see this verse in light of having just looked at a couple of weeks ago, Genesis chapter 3, what's the thing that jumps out? What was it that God said would happen if Adam and Eve, if the man and the woman ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? You will, you will die. And so here Paul is saying, hey, guess what? It happened. But now what's interesting, right, is that you, uh, when, you, when you think of Genesis 3, right, the first reading, on the day of it, you will surely die, you would think on the day that you eat of it, you're surely, you're, like, your heart's going to stop beating, you're going to keel over and die. Uh, and that's not actually, as we know, what happens, right? Their bodies start the process of dying. But spiritually, on that day, they were dead. Something happened to the very core of who they are spiritually. And from that moment on, every single human being, when they are born, is physically alive, but is spiritually dead. And a spiritually dead person is not capable of doing anything to save themselves spiritually. That's the the seriousness of sin. The seriousness of sin is that we are spiritually incapable of doing anything to save us. And it's really fascinating when you take that concept and you think about it through the lens of Genesis chapter 4 and the story of Cain, right? The story of Cain gives us a wonderful illustration of what it means to be dead in sin. The God of heaven and earth came to Cain and said, don't do this. And Cain said, I'm going to do it. That is what it means to be spiritually dead. And this is the seriousness of the condition that sin presents us. Sin is not only serious, it's also pervasive. Notice what Paul says. It affects us, it affects the physical world, it affects the spiritual world, and it affects our inner world. All right, so this is the second kind of subpoint, and this one's got three sub-points. I told you all, I'm going to like go on point by point by point here. Uh, first of all, the physical world. Notice what he says. He says in verse 2, you used to follow the ways of this world. This is really interesting when you think about it, right? Sin is not just what happens to us as individuals. Sin is what's happening to societies. I want to give you three cities that you find in the Bible. Right, The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, the city of Nineveh, and the city of Jerusalem. All right? In Genesis, chapter, uh, Genesis chapters 18 and 19, we are told about the sin of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. <clears throat> uh, and you remember that in that particular story, God said, if I can find five righteous people in that city, I will spare it. Sodom, the sin of Sodom was so pervasive as a society. It was so systemic as a society that you couldn't even find one righteous person. Lot was the closest thing that we were able to find. And even Lot, when you look at Lot, you realize even Lot was a far cry from being righteous. And so those cities were destroyed. Second city, city of Nineveh. The book of Jonah is all about how the sin of the city of Nineveh had gotten so bad, so pervasive, that God sends a prophet in order to condemn it. Uh, And the prophet doesn't want to go because the prophet knows that God's got this way of being really, really patient with people. Uh, And so he doesn't want to go. And the prophet goes. He speaks his word. Uh, the city does repent, but guess what? The city's repentance only lasts for a little while, right? Because they, they will come back to their wickedness, and God will destroy it through the Babylonian Empire. Then there's the city of Jerusalem. You Read the book of Kings. Read the book of Chronicles. Read the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And what you find is that the city of Jerusalem, God's city, People who were in leadership were abusing those under their authority. Children were being sacrificed. All kinds of evil was being done. And God was patient, and he was patient, and he was patient. And finally, he said, enough is enough. The sin of that city had gotten so pervasive, so systemic, that he said, I'm done. And he punished it. And that's the reality of our world, right? We can look at the Bible and we can see in Scripture examples of places where sin has gotten so bad that the whole thing is broken. And we see that in our world today, right? Think, think with me, right? There are uh, the, 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 the new war with Israel and Hamas and Gaza, right? That is now one of over 30 Different armed conflicts in our world. There are. Uh, we had the cultural conversation on Friday night, talking about homelessness uh, in our country and in our state. There are in California alone, according to a recent study done by the University of California, San Francisco. There are 171,000 unhoused people just in California. And that is 30% of the nation's total population of unhoused people. And, and uh, there's a lot of reasons why people are unhoused. There's, and some of them are, systemic problems that we have. The reality of sin is that it affects the physical world. The reality of sin is that it affects the spiritual world. Paul says that you used to follow the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in, this, uh, in those who are disobedient. That ruler, that spirit, is the same spiritual being who showed up in the garden in the form of a snake. There's a story that I heard recently in a podcast that I was listening to on uh, fasting. And this woman tells the story, Uh, of her having some significant spiritual warfare. She was very, very, very ill, uh, had uh, this very rare form of neurological disease, uh, and they just could not figure out what was causing it. She was just at a loss. Uh, She was having a conversation with somebody who's a mentor of hers, a pastor uh, of her and her husband's, uh, and the pastor asked this question, like, hey, have you ever considered that there might be a curse on your family? And the woman's like, I don't even know what you're taught. Like, I know that that's possible, but, like, I have no category for what it is that you're asking me. It turns out that there was. It turns out that the woman's great-grandmother had uh, married a man who, unbeknownst to her, had already been married. The man she married, she, the, the great-grandmother was Mexican. The, the great-grandfather was Cuban. Uh, if you've ever been to Cuba, uh, you might see all along the streets, you'll see somebody uh, dressed completely in white. Uh, and they will often have very, very bright, colorful beads. Usually they're green and orange and red. Uh, those are uh, witch doctors. Uh, the technical term for them is santeros. Santeria is a religion. Uh, it a, it's a, comes from the Yoruba people of Africa to the Caribbean nations. You find it in Cuba. You find it in Puerto Rico. You find it in other Caribbean nations. Uh, and, and it is nasty, nasty, nasty stuff. Like, I could tell you several stories of times where I've had interactions with Santeria. It's, it's horrible. Uh, so it turns out that this woman's great-grandmother had a curse put on her that the firstborn daughter of every generation would die prematurely. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm just like, that's weird, right? But guess what happened? The firstborn daughter of every generation of this family had died early. The spiritual realm is real, y'all. I was having a conversation just this week with one of my kids. Uh, we're having a conversation, and I said, it "Was like, hey, like, there's if there's one thing that I've come to appreciate, especially because of my travel to Cuba, because of my time living in Miami, uh, where I like showed up to church one Sunday and a santero had offered a sacrifice in front of our church building. You don't mess with the spiritual realm. It's real. There really are demons." And they really are out to get us and to oppress us. And you see it again and again and again in the pages of Scripture. The sin has affected our physical world. Sin affects the spiritual world. And guess what? Sin affects our inner world as well. By the way, the spirit was cast out and she was healed. Paul says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh And following its desires and thoughts. That phrase cravings of our flesh is really important, right? So craving, that word there, is a word that Paul uses a number of times in his writings to talk about desires. It's often translated also as desires. Uh, Flesh is a word that Paul uses very often to talk about It's kind of spiritual impulse that we have to do things that are counter to the will of God. And so this phrase, this concept gets used to talk about sexual sin. It gets used to talk about uh, how we use our words. It's used to talk about actions like anger, envy, rage, dissension, and selfish ambition. And what it's saying is that those desires come up inside of us. Right? So sin is is serious because it's spiritual death. It's pervasive because it affects our physical world. It affects the spiritual world. It affects our inner world. There's an author by the name of Deborah Reinstra, who years ago, I think she's a literature professor, years ago wrote a book uh, called So Much More. And her chapter on sin is, um, to this day, one of the most profound reflections I have ever read on the nature of sin. and This is what she writes. I'm going to quote her twice this morning. She says, The Christian view of sin retains two seemingly contradictory ideas. On the one hand, we are responsible for sin. On the other hand, we are helpless in its grip. We need both halves of this tension. We must retain our responsibility because if we relinquish all responsibility, we cease to be human. Responsibility being a necessary component of our dignity and nature. To concede our helplessness, however, honestly accounts for what we observe in others and ourselves. So we see its seriousness, we see its pervasiveness, next we see its universality. Paul begins by saying, as for you, so Paul is Jewish, he's writing to a group of Gentiles, and he says, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But then he turns around and says in verse 3, all of us also, now he's talking about his Jewish audience, all of us also lived among them at one time. Uh, isn't Isn't that, you think about like in our day and age, right? What we do is we say the problem is you, right? The problem is the other. The problem is the people who disagree with me on X, Y, or Z. That's the problem. What the Christian scriptures teach us to do is to say, no, 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 the problem is pervasive. The problem is all of us. We are all on equal footing because of the reality of sin. We are all guilty. And then the last thing that we see in this anatomy of sin, uh, according to Paul, or the last thing we're going to look at, is uh, this. It says that all of us are like, like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, I want you to think about a time where you saw something, and you just felt compelled to respond. I want you to think about a time where you heard something, you you came across something, uh, and you're like, "This is wrong. Something should be done about this," and it moved you to action in some way, shape, or form. Or maybe not you. Maybe you know somebody, right? That 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 some kind of evil. Something just makes them go, this is not right. Something needs to be done. We're going to tap into that. The reality is that when we hear the word wrath, what we generally think about right, is uncontrolled rage. Uh, We think of uh, revenge. We think of acts of violence. Uh, That's not how Scripture presents the wrath of God the way Scripture presents the wrath of God, it does absolutely talk about the wrath of God. Uh, But the way Scripture often presents it is that wrath is connected to mercy and patience. God's wrath is what happens when he has been patient and he has offered mercy again and again and again, and then things get to a point where he says, enough is enough, right? And if, and if you can tap into that impulse of something where you were like, man, this is wrong. Something has to be done. Imagine how much more for God that impulse would drive him. He is perfect. He is holy. He cannot allow any evil to go unchecked. And so wrath is what happens when God's patience has come to its end When God is all the patient, he can say, all right, now it's time for punishment. A New Testament scholar by the name of Lynn Kohick writes this. She says, God's wrath promises that in the end, wrongs done to the vulnerable will be punished and justice unresolved will be paid up. The arrogant who abuses others will be silent. Right, so this is an anatomy of sin, right? This is, we see its, uh, its seriousness, its spiritual depth. We see its pervasiveness. It affects the physical, the spiritual, and the inner world. We see its universality. All of us are affected by it, uh, and we see its judgment. God will not allow evil to go unchecked. Uh, so that's the, that's the anatomy, and that's what we use to diagnose, right? When you have a problem, you go to the doctor. They use their knowledge of anatomy to diagnose the problem, Uh, So Paul here is giving us an anatomy. He's telling us the diagnosis. He's telling, hey, this is what's wrong. And then he turns around and he says, all right, this is what God is doing about it. He says, but God. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. What's really interesting about this is that God who is rich in mercy is actually the first thing that's said in the verse. The the God whose being is mercy— Out of his great love, has done something for you. So, remember Genesis 3? What was the fall? Happens, right? Adam and Eve eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God is in the process of of putting out his curses, and what does he do in the middle of the cursing? You remember? Offer of the gospel out of the seed of the woman would come one who will crush the serpent. Genesis chapter 4. He's talking to Cain. Cain is like not having it. Cain kills his brother. And even then God says, "Cain, I'm going to offer you the promise of protection." Right? Mercy that Cain did not deserve. We come to the pages of the New Testament and what we realize is that that son of Eve who was going to crush the, set of the head of the serpent? It wasn't going to be Cain. It wasn't going to be Abel. It wasn't even going to be Seth. It was Jesus. That Jesus is the one who's the, the serpent crusher. That when He dies on the cross, what happens is that the serpent, the snake, the evil one, the spirit of the you know the, the spirit of this age strikes Jesus in His heel, in the way that a viper would strike your heel. But in the process, Jesus crushes his head. The promise that God gave to Cain, the promise that I will be with you, how much more of a greater promise do we have? We don't have just a sign. We have a sign. It's called baptism. But more than a sign, we have a spirit. We have God's presence with us to be with us. This is really fascinating about this. Scripture, again and again and again, Scripture will deal head on with the problem of sin. Scripture will deal head on with the reality of what's wrong with this world. But it always, right on its heels, will talk about what God is doing. It always comes in and reminds us of the reality of this great promise. They always go side by side. the story of scripture has a chapter that's called fall, but that's not the last chapter, right? The next chapter is the chapter of redemption. And so even now, like you, you notice, like I have not been able to preach a sermon on the fall. We've done three now without the last point really being like, hey, that's not the end of the story, right? The end of the story is God's restoration of all things, And so even as we're looking and we're trying to dive in and understand the second chapter, we can't help but say, but that's we got to understand that, but we got to come over here, we got to see this, because this is where the story ends. So it's, you know, like you never do that. If you're reading a mystery, like maybe some of you are the kind of person that reads the last page of the mystery. I don't know. I don't understand that. Uh, but, But when you're preaching sermons, I'm all about telling you the last page of the story. Now, What do we do with this? So I said, why do we spend time on this? I told you at the beginning, one reason why we spend time on this is because uh, everybody's got questions about what's wrong. And scripture provides us answers. And so from one perspective, we spend time looking at this because it helps give us language and understanding to be able to have good conversations with people who might question, like, hey, what, how do you, how do you make sense of these things that you see in the world? But there's a second reason why I think it's important for us to spend time looking at this issue of sin. For some of us, uh, and you know, like, I have conversations with people, so, I, so I, can, I, can, I can visualize folks in this congregation. I'm not speaking here hypothetically. I'm speaking to you as a congregation. For some of us, I know that we are tempted in one of two directions when it comes to sin. Uh, some of us, the temptation is to minimize. For some of us, the temptation is to say, well, yeah, but it's not that bad. And having an anatomy of sin, right? Having, having Paul, looking at Paul and saying, like, no, like, really, like, like, let's dig in here. Let's really take a close look at what sin is. And my hope is that that will, will fight against the temptation for some of us to say, oh, it's not that bad. Because sin is absolutely horrible. It's it's evil. For others of us, for others of us, the temptation is to be weighed by our sin. For others of us, the temptation is that the sins that we have committed or the sins that have been committed against us have so come to define who we are that we lose sight of the good news. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. Some of you, you know, you might resonate with one part. Might resonate, some of you might not resonate with either, right? But here's the thing, that a healthy understanding of sin says on the one hand, it's really bad. And then on the other hand says, that's not the end of the story, right? Because the gospel says that Jesus is the one who takes God's wrath in our place. What's that song? I can't remember if it's in Christ alone or you know, you know, the wrath of God and in Christ alone. I hope it's found in him. The wrath of God is satisfied. I'm totally butchering the song. Um, you, know, that, you know, you sing that, right? And it's just like, okay, those are, those are nice lyrics but when you come to a passage like Ephesians 2, the, they, they take on uh, a deeper level of significance. So this is the end of the, third, the second chapter. Uh, We spent three weeks looking at the reality of sin, diagnosing it, trying to understand it, seeing where it comes from, seeing how it works. Uh, And then we're going to take the next three weeks and we're going to begin looking at God's story of redemption. We're going to begin looking and considering what is it that God has done in order to save us, in order to deal with this problem of sin. And then after that, we're going to look to the story of uh, restoration. And we're going to see what the end of the story looks like. We're going, to, we're going to take a peek into the book of Revelation and see what it is that's in store when Jesus comes back and brings in the new heavens and the new earth. All right, let me pray for us. Gracious God, we, uh, we thank you for uh, this passage and for the way that it forces us to think deeply about the nature of, of sin and what it does and how it affects us, uh, of how it affects our world, of how it affects the spiritual realm, Lord God, would you um, would you please help us this morning, even as we go into the next song and then we 're going to have communion uh, to to remember that. For as significant and as important as it is for us to see how evil sin is, that that is not the end of the story. For those who have faith in your son Jesus, that even as we come in a few minutes to have this meal together, that that meal is a reminder of what it is that you did through your son Jesus in order to free us from the power of sin. In order to allow the condemnation that sin brings to be wiped away. Uh, and so Lord, would you please help us even now as we move into the rest of the service that, uh, that you would drive home the, the beauty of your... Uh, of your salvation offered to us through Jesus, it's in His name that we pray. Amen. All right, let's stand and sing our next.